The following message was recorded at Fountain of Life Fellowship in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, visit www.folfcrc.com. Today's scripture reading is going to be out of the book of the Philippians, chapter 1, verses 3 to 11. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. This is the word of God. Good morning. Great to be with you. I'm so excited to look at this passage with you. Let's ask for help, because I'm going to need it, and so are you, I think. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, your word is incredible. We just want to remember that as we do this kind of seemingly simple thing of thinking through your word together, that you are speaking. Your Holy Spirit is here, and this is your word, and you are speaking to each one of us. And so we pray that you would give us the attention span and the will and the desire and the open heart to listen, and that you would speak to us deeply. Lord, there are Beautiful things in this passage, and they're so beautiful it makes them seem so difficult for us. But we pray that you would move us towards the beauty of this passage, and that you would form it in us, even here today, this morning. Our church, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So every once in a while, it'll come up in conversation. Somebody will ask me, oh, do you play guitar? And I might say, sure, I play a little guitar. Then every once in a while, I'll go to a concert and I'll see someone who actually plays guitar. (laughs) I'll watch them do things that blow my mind, that thrill my ears. And if you asked me the day after that concert, oh, do you play guitar? I'd say, no, not not really. (laughs) Do you love your church? It's a profound question, isn't it? If you asked me that question, I'd say, yeah, I love my church. And then I read this passage in Philippians. Did you hear it? Did you hear Paul say, I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus? Do you love your church? I get asked that question after reading this text, and I say, yeah, but not enough. Not like this. Here's the thing. I'll never play a great guitar, and that's okay, but I think it's God's will that every Christian can and should become a virtuoso in loving his or her church. How is that possible? I mean, did you really look at this? It's scary to love like this. How many of you have been hurt by the church? Okay, I have. Hurt by people who claim to love Christ. I have, and when you're hurt, you lose trust. And when you lose trust, you think, I can't love like that anymore. And yet you can. 
How do we grow in loving our church like this? The, uh, we're going to learn today from this man who has been taught this by the Lord. And uh, we're going to see he's clearly overjoyed by this church in Philippi. Look at verse 3. He said, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. He thinks about this church. What is he filled with? He's filled with joy. But it's not because this church is some perfect utopia of community. Because maybe you're sitting there thinking, well, if my church was better, then I would be able to love them. Maybe you don't say that about your whole church. Maybe you just say that about some people in your church. I'm digging right now. If they were just nicer to be more welcoming, more this or more that, then I could love them. It's not like the church in Philippi was perfect. Look at two examples. Philippians 2.14. Paul's going to tell the church, do all things without grumbling or disputing. Hey, I wonder why he has to say that. What were they doing sometimes? They were grumbling and disputing. Look at Philippians 4.2. I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. You know, every time another church starts a sermon series in Philippians, these two poor ladies get together in heaven and go, our fight made the Bible. Our fight made the Bible. How bad does it have to be? For him to mention them in this letter, what are these two ladies doing? They are not getting along. And so you see that this church, Paul doesn't love them because it's this overwhelming community of utopia. That's not it. Why is he so thrilled by them? It's because of how this church relates to Paul's joy. It's because how it relates to Paul's joy. So here's what I want to tell you, and I'm telling myself too. Your love for the church or your lack of it is intimately connected to the health or sickness of what you love the most and what gives you your deepest joy. Your love for your church or your lack of it connects to the health or sickness of what you love the most and what gives you your deepest joy. So this morning, I want to remember with you the reality of joy that we've seen in this letter. We're going to keep seeing it. We saw it last week. I want to remember the reality of joy. And then as we remember that, we'll see why this church stirs up so much joy in Paul. And as we see that, God willing, we'll be moved towards a fresh joy and in love for our own church. So four points. The reality of joy, joyful sharing, joyful participation, joyful goal. Reality of joy, joyful sharing, joyful participation, joyful goal. And let me just ask you as we get moving, are you... Are you willing to be moved towards this? Some of you, you don't want to be vulnerable. You don't want to have people close in your life. Some of you, you like to keep your circle small. And the Lord wants to prod you today and, and push you around about your joy and in love for your church and why or why not you have it. Are you willing to listen to that today? Let's just, let's listen. Hear what he has to say. So first of all, the reality of joy. Last week I said basic joy or baseline joy is getting what you want. We all get that. Uh, you have a hard day at work, you skipped lunch because you were busy, maybe you even went to the gym and worked out. What do you want to do when you get home? I want to eat. Okay, some of you want to sleep. Fine. I want to I eat. You, wanna, you ever been really hungry and you wanted to eat? 
well, of course. And have you ever said, oh, I especially want to eat this? I get that a lot for Mexican food, must have Mexican food. And as you anticipate it, you feel a little bit of joy. And then when you taste it, you're like, oh, yeah, a little bit of joy, basic joy. We all get that, but we're confused by Paul. Do you remember being confused by him? Here's why we're confused. He has worse circumstances and better joy. He has worse circumstances and better joy. Most of you can get whatever you want to eat this afternoon, pretty much. And you'll find a little joy in that. Paul can't. He's in a Roman prison. He can't eat whatever he wants. In fact, what he eats is dependent upon if friends will bring him food. He has worse circumstances and better joy. Some of you might say, I can't have joy. I have career problems. How does a Roman prison deal with your career problems? What career aspirations can you have when you're stuck in a Roman prison? He has worse circumstances and better joy. We think, I can't have joy. There's conflict in my relationships. Paul has other Christian leaders slandering him publicly. He has worse circumstances and better joy. We think, I can't have joy. My future is unsure. Paul is wondering if he's going to get his head cut off next week. He has worse circumstances and better joy. What's going on? Well, first of all, we need to admit we don't really get the nature of joy. We think it's tied purely to certain kinds of circumstances. It's not true. Here's what I'm learning about myself. My joy is impeded by my desire problem. I think this is all through Philippians. I hope to be able to show you. Your joy is impeded by your desire problem. So here's my desire problem. I have a hard time loving the right things in the right way. In a way, I'm like a spiritual alcoholic. I'm like a spiritual alcoholic. You know, you think of just a stereotypical version of alcoholism, right? It's, it's, a, it's a fine thing to have a drink one afternoon. It's a fine thing. But the alcoholic looks at that and says, that's not just a fine thing. That's the everything. To the point where what was a simple joy now becomes a great sorrow. And this thing that should be some small kind of joy overwhelms what should be greater kinds of joy like career or family or a relationship with God that's healthy or etc. And, and that's my heart, not with alcohol, but I'm so easily in love with small things and I give them way too much credence. I love them way too much. It's idolatry, really. It's my rebellion against God. I've got desire problems and then great things I'm supposed to be thrilled with. I'm like, eh. Great things I'm supposed to be amazed with. I don't love them like I should. That's my joy problem. Paul's letting us in on the secret then. If by the Holy Spirit you're able to love the right things in the right way, and you discover that ultimately the best thing is Jesus Christ and who he is and what he's done for you, well, Paul says, let me, in on you, on, let, let, me let you in on the secret. Look at Philippians 4.12. Philippians 4.12. Paul says, I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Verse 13, I can do all things. How? Through Christ. So when he has a great meal at the most beautiful place ever with all the people he loves, he has Christ. And when he is alone with nothing to eat in the corner of a prison, he still has Christ. 
And if you resonate with that in some way, that's because God has been changing your desires so that you'll love the right thing in the right way. And to the extent that you're bored by that or go, eh, that's your desire problem. Don't want what you should, which is why you can't find that serious joy. So to love the right thing in the right way, ultimately that will culminate in wanting Christ the most. Which is why Paul can say to any Christian at any time, Philippians 4.4, what does he say? Any Christian at any time, rejoice. Where? In the Lord. Rejoice where? In the Lord. When? Always. Again, I say it. Rejoice. Rejoice. Where? In the Lord. When? Always. So the key to joy, the reality of joy, is loving the right things in the right way. And when your desires have been changed to see the beauty of Jesus and to want him the most, when you have him, what do you always have? The opportunity for joy. That's the highest joy, wanting and having Christ. Do you think this makes a difference for whether or not you love your church? This is everything for whether or not you love your church. This is everything. The reason Paul is overjoyed by this church is because of what they share together, what they participate in together, and where they're going together. You've seen Paul's highest joy. What is it? Who is it? It's Christ. Look at what this means for your church. Look at this, first of all, the joyful sharing. Verse 3, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. Uh, what's Paul's emotional life like when he thinks of the Philippian church? Number one, God, thank you for these people. What a gift to me. Thank you for these people. What was the second one? Always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. Oh, these people thrill me. They make me so happy. I'm so thankful that for these people, they give me so much joy. Why? Why do they thrill him like this? If you love your church, what would you say? Why? Look at verse 5. This is Paul's answer. Because of your partnership in the what? In the gospel. In the gospel. Partnership in the gospel. Let's remember, basics. What's the gospel? How would you answer that? Can you say it in a sentence? Can you say it in a paragraph? Can you say it in a word? What is the gospel? Well, let's remember the truth. We're rebellious sinners separated from fellowship with God, right? I have not loved him in the way that I should. I've not loved my neighbor as myself. There is a power of sin in me. I love the wrong things on my own. There is a penalty of sin I deserve. I deserve God's just wrath. We remember that according to the only standard that really matters, not your neighbor, rather God's word, nobody's a good person. Can I get an amen from a few people? Yes, that's true. So here's the good news. Here's the gospel. I have no hope of saving myself. I have, I have no hope of standing before God on my own. The gospel, the good news is that God has sent Jesus for us. The eternal son of God who became human for our sake. He lived that perfect life we could never live so that he could be our righteousness. He died on the cross to pay the debt we don't want to pay. 
taking on himself the justice we deserve. He rose from the dead and now reigns for our good. And here's the offer. You can have him, all that he is and all that he's done, totally freely as a gift if you just repent of your sins and put your faith in him. Do you have to pay for your sins if you trust Jesus? No, we, we try. You don't need to. It's forgiven. It's paid for. Are you, are you good enough? Are you right before God in heaven? In Christ you are totally perfected, perfectly. And how did you get that? Did you climb some great mountain? Did you punish yourself? Did you say a hundred of this kind of... What did you do to get that glorious reality of being a child of God, right with God, forgiven of your sins? What did you do? Just trust him and it's yours freely as a gift. That's the gospel. That's good news. It's the gospel to be forgiven, to be adopted, to be transformed, to belong to God, to know God as your father through Christ. It's free by grace through faith. How many of you believe that right now? How many of you, it's like, that changed, that changed your life? How many of you, is that's like, that's the most precious thing that you have, the gospel and what it's done for you. And Paul is saying to the Philippians, I am so thrilled by you because we share Jesus together. We share Jesus together. That word partnership it means fellowship. It's koinonia. It means fellowship. So finally you understand our long church name. Fountain of life. We're in Fountain Valley. Fountain of life. God's love. Fountain of life. Fellowship. Sharing. Fountain of life. Sharing. Sharing what? What do we have in common? We eat it together. We enjoy it together. We need it together. We sing it together. We trust it together. We want to grow in it together. We want to spread it together. What do we share together? The gospel. Jesus, and friends, we're going to share it forever. Look what Paul says in Philippians 1.6. I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. I want you to know something precious about yourself. Uh, if you had a time in your life where all of a sudden you woke up and said, oh man, I need Jesus. Oh, I want to know him. Guess who started that in you? God started that in you. You wouldn't have done that by yourself. He started that in you. He began the good work. And guess what he's going to do if he began a good work in you? He's going to finish it. He's gonna, isn't that encouraging? Do you ever wonder? <laughs> a bad day, a bad week? Do you ever wonder? Was this, was this for, if God began a good work in you, he's going to finish it. God finishes what he starts. Jesus Never loses someone he came to save. He will keep you till the end. And not just you, but you. We share this together. We fellowship on this together. Here's what Paul is saying. If the gospel gives you joy, and if you're a Christian, it does give you joy, then enjoying it will, uh, with others will not only enhance your joy in the gospel, but it will give you joy in them. If you love the gospel, you'll take joy in others who love the gospel. Do you love your church? Why? Hmm. If you're not that impressed by the gospel, your church experience will be warped. Did you know that? If you're not that impressed by the gospel, your church experience will be warped. You'll be looking for this church to give you something it can't give you. So, for instance, sometimes people go to church to find a friendly community. 
Hey, I am not against that at all. Should we be a friendly community? Yes. Okay. But if community is as high as you go, then when that community is no longer unfriendly, wait, a, wait what, 30 seconds? Wait five minutes? Wait. Because this community is friendly and sinful. If you've come for a friendly community and that's as high as you can go, then you will leave. Because we weren't friendly enough. Or if you come for entertainment, well, you probably wouldn't have stayed very long, right? But if you, if you come for entertainment, as soon as you go, oh, you know what? It wasn't that interesting. It wasn't that great or it wasn't that fun or it wasn't that whatever. Then you leave. But you were coming for the wrong things. What are we here for? To share in the gospel. And so the more that you love and find joy in Jesus and what he's done for you, then the more you're going to love and find joy in those who share that with you, who share, participate in the gospel. The, the gospel adjusts your view of church. It changes your view of church. Uh, it changes your view of the past, I think. Remember he said, um, I don't know, he said what? I, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Now, what do you think this means? Do you think this means that every single interaction Paul had with every single Christian in Philippi was always awesome? Do you think that's what that means? I'm way too skeptical to think that's what that means. I don't think there's any way that's what that means. So how can he thank his God in all his remembrance of them? Because he's forgiven them for all the bad interactions. It changes how he views the past with them. He sees them as God's project in a good way. God has started a good work, and what's God going to do? See, the gospel changes your view not only of, your, of the past with the church, but of your view of the church in the future. Because Paul doesn't just see what they have been or what they are. He has in his mind what they will be. What they will be. What, what would it be like if we could see one of you when you are in heaven? Remember Jesus will say things like, you'll shine with the, like the sun, the righteous will shine like the sun. If we could see the glorified you, we'd all be like, oh, you know, what is this? That's where you're going, Christ-likeness. Can you see your church and what they will look like in the future? If you can, you'll have joy. Those who find joy in the gospel will find joy in those they enjoy the gospel with. So what's, call, what's, got, what's, what's, what's the calling here for you? I think, number one, do you enjoy the gospel? Have you seen the beauty of Christ and how you need him and what he is for you and that he's all yours by grace through faith? You're right with God. You're forgiven. You're loved. You're adopted. Are you, do you find joy in that? If you do, you will be drawn to share that with others who find joy in that, and you'll find joy in them. You'll find joy in them. That's the joyful sharing, now the joyful participation. Look what Paul says in verse 7. It's right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace. How does Paul feel about them? That, that word feel this way about you, it includes the mind, it includes the heart, it's, almost, it's like a heartfelt, mindful attitude towards them, a concern for them, a, a, they, he values them, and then he says, I hold you in my heart. Have, have you ever said that to anybody? 
What would that mean? I hold you in my heart. I mean, maybe that's one thing like a, a, a husband says to his wife, I hold you in my heart. Could you have you ever said it about your church? To your church, I hold you in my heart. It's like you're so intertwined with what I love and care about. I hold you in my heart. And he says, it's right for me to feel this way. And that, that word is like justice or righteousness. So he's saying, it is right that I love you like this. And he's also saying, it would be wrong for me not to love you like this. How you love your church is an ethical reality. It is a sin not to love your church. So challenging, isn't it? He's full of affection for them. Why? What does he say? Why? For you are all partakers with me of what? Grace. Grace. Hey, church, what's grace? How do you define that? How do you find grace? Try it like this. Lavish. Okay, what's lavish mean? Lots. Okay, it just keeps coming. Lavish love of God. Uh, I missed something. Lavish, undeserved love of God. What's undeserved mean? You know what you don't know, right? It means you don't deserve it. We keep trying, right? God, will you love me if I only... No, it's undeserved. The lavish, undeserved love of God for you in Christ Jesus and what he's done. That's grace. Lavish, undeserved love for you in Christ Jesus and what he's done. And Paul says, I love you like this. I feel this way about you because you are partakers with with me of grace. You are participants with me in what grace does to people. You are in this grace with me. Look at two pictures of grace in this passage. Maybe not what you'd expect. Paul says, you're all partakers with me of grace, both in my, and what's that next word? Imprisonment. Hold up, okay? You got sent to prison tomorrow. How many of you would say, oh, praise God for God's grace? When suffering hits you, how many of you are instantly like, just love God for all his varieties of grace in my life? Mm-hmm, right? Wow, what do we say when our circumstances are hard? We say, oh, God must hate me, or he forgot to show me grace. There's no grace here. What did Paul just tell you about his imprisonment? It is grace. See, this is why Philippians hard for us. His view of joy, his view of grace. It is grace. Why is it grace? Well, in prison, he's had the opportunity to defend and confirm the gospel. Do you remember what Paul loves the most? This only makes sense if you understand this. He loves the gospel. How much does he love it? More than anything else. Does he like being in prison? I don't think so. But does he like God, the gospel more than he likes being free? Yes. And if being in prison can help to glorify or spotlight the gospel, he'll rejoice. He calls it grace. That's amazing. 
So the, the defending the gospel, you've heard of the word apologia, apologetics. It's the idea of proclaiming, explaining, defending the reality of Jesus to a world that doesn't believe in it. He is getting to do this on a stage unlike ever before. Uh, all, all the Roman guard is knowing and seeing that he's there for Christ. All of a sudden he has this stage to proclaim Jesus like he's never had before to this new group of people. It's grace for him. It's also the opportunity to confirm the gospel. What do you think that means? How does this confirm the gospel? I'll give you my take on this. So Paul's going to say that Jesus is his greatest treasure, right? And what do you think about people who are rich, happy, have it all together, and they're like, Jesus is my greatest treasure? Okay. But what about when the house burns down, the car breaks down, everybody leaves, you're sick and you're alone? And somebody says to you, I can still rejoice because Jesus is my greatest treasure. Now you're thinking, oh, oh, he confirms the reality of the gospel by saying, I can rejoice, this is grace. It shows that Jesus really is better than anything else. So Christian, I'm, I'm not preaching from way up here and you're down here. I'm, I'm right here with you. This is hard for me, but I have to show you what we see here. Your suffering as a child of God is grace. And it gives you a chance to confirm the gospel to anyone who will listen. When you say that in the midst of your sickness, joblessness, Whatever. When you say in the midst of that, it's hard, but Jesus is my joy. The people around you, huh? You confirm the gospel. And Paul says to the Philippians, I'm so full of love for you. Because you participate with me in this grace. And the Philippians really did when they heard Paul was in prison. They sent Epaphroditus with a bunch of resources to take to Paul. It was so hard, Epaphroditus almost died. We're going to hear that later. But he got the resources to Paul. He took care of him. And Paul sent him back when he recovered just to say, I'm okay, guys. I'm rejoicing. Thank you. I love you so much. Thank you for participating with me. They didn't abandon him. You know, he's in trouble with Rome. Hey, might not want to be affiliated with him. They didn't do that. They, they stood with him. They participated with him. And he's full of love for them because of that. Aren't we supposed to stand with one another in this way? To stand with one another in confirming the gospel in the midst of our hard times. To, confer, to stand together to defend the gospel in our relationships, to share the truth of Jesus with people. That's one way they partake in grace. Here's the second picture of grace. The first one was imprisonment, right? was all what you were expecting, imprisonment. Here's the second one. Look at verse 8, the second picture of grace. God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. I'm blown away by this line. I'm blown away. First of all, he says, God is my witness. That's serious. That's serious. He's saying, God sees into my heart and he knows the reality of it. This is how I feel about you. How I yearn for you all, yearn, deeply care about you, find joy in you, love you, want to be with you again. How I yearn for you. And then look at the next word. This is maybe the most confronting of all. How I yearn for you, help me, all. 
how I yearn for you all. Come on, let's be honest. We all have people we connect with more or less at our church. I'm not blaming you for it. It's human nature. And at some human level, you can only have so many, like, best friends, right? That's okay. But church, be careful. Because he doesn't just say, I yearn for some of you who I've had fun theological discussions with. Or I yearn for, no, I yearn for you, what's that next word? All. With the affection of Christ Jesus. Can any of you honestly say that to us today? I'm not going to say it. I want to yearn for you all like this. I get it sometimes, but, but really, I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus, the old and the young, the cool and the odd, the new and the veteran, the all. I yearn for you all with the affection of Jesus. Let's think here for a second. What is the affection of Jesus like? It's a, this Greek word is a lot of fun because it means like guts or loins or intestines. You have the guts of Jesus. Okay. Back then, you know, it was the idea that that's where I feel my emotions. And it's kind of right. That's where I feel my emotions is in here. And so it's the word that in the Gospels is often com- um, translated compassion a deep care and concern for. But this line that Paul's giving us only makes sense if Jesus is full of affection for you. The reason Paul says this is I love you with a bit of what Jesus loves you with. Jesus has affection for you. So just sit on this for a second. Do you have Jesus' guts? I'm not saying, are you gutsy like Jesus? I'm saying, do his guts move with affection for you? This text says that they do. Jesus yearns for you. It's the only way this line makes sense. If you're a Christian, if you've trusted in him, you've put your faith in him, you have Jesus' attention, you have his guts, he yearns for you. He loves you so deeply. Read Ephesians 3 later. His love is deeper, wider, broader, higher. You can't know it. You can know, but you can't know it. He loves you so deeply today. And go ahead and think, well, I don't deserve it. Go ahead and admit it. I don't deserve it. Ah, back to grace. Lavish, undeserved love of God for you in Christ Jesus. I'm not good enough. It's true. He was good enough. I've done so many things wrong. That's true. He died for it. And he rose for your justification. You are right with God, declared innocent. He loves you. I have a hard time believing this. Does he love me? I can tell you he loves you, and I'm like, on the inside, does he really love me like this? Go to church, tell me. Preach at me just for one second. Does he, does he love me? Okay. Does he love you? You. All? All in Christ. You put your trust in Christ. If you feel the grace of Jesus' affection for you, buckle up. You will want to feel and show that to the others for whom Jesus feels that same affection. This is a supernatural thing here. This is not like I get to love my best friends. Anybody can do that. 
This is a supernatural thing where you have the affection of Christ for Christ's people because they partake in the same grace that you partake in. Wow. Apply the grace of Jesus to your heart and then do that to your church. How much of Jesus' affection do you deserve? None. How much do you get? All of it. How much of your affection does your church deserve? All of it. Why? Because Jesus gave you all of his. Let's go ahead and admit it. Can you do this on your own strength? I don't have a chance. But can you do this by God's grace and the power of the Spirit because of the gospel? Let's move towards it. Let's move in it. Let's grow in it. Just grow in it. And I was thinking of church. Church is hard. Church is hard. People are hard. We're messy. We're sinners. We offend each other uh, intentionally, unintentionally. Uh, we flake on each other. We rub each other the wrong way. We disagree on passionate things like politics or parenting or, or this and that. We have all these reasons to not trust and to stay at a distance. And then we read this text What's the thing that pulls us together? It's not even going to be our niceness. It's going to be Christ and his grace. And when you move towards that, look, some, don't raise your hand because somebody will be offended. We don't want to do that. They were talking about love. Sometimes you feel like an outsider and you just want to be in. And then you look at those people who seem to be in and won't let you in in some undefined way. And there's a distance there. Apply the grace of the affection of Jesus. Maybe you're perceived an insider, whatever that means, and you forget or deny those who seem out. Apply the grace of the affection of Jesus for, that, that Paul says, I have for you all. Look to the affection of Christ. And th this means at least one thing, church. We have to always be ready to love new people with the same affection of Christ. Isn't it so awesome to make this new fellowship relationship at church? I'm not demeaning this at all. It is so fresh and so wonderful. And isn't it great to have years and years with some people that you know and trust? It is. I'm not demeaning that at all. But what's the danger? I've got my four people in my circle. And then what can you never do? Show the affection of Christ to all. All. Whew. If we love the right things in the right way, we'll love Jesus most. He's our joy. That will bring deep joy in our church due to our fellowship in sharing in that gospel together. It will bring deep affection for our church due to our participation in God's grace together. Last, our joyful goal. Our joyful goal. Look at verse 9. It is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. We're just going to kind of walk up the, the mountain of 9 to 11 here. We're starting on the mountain, at the, at the bottom of the mountain. What does Paul do for this church, evidently? It is my prayer. Do you pray for your church? Pray for your church. What do you pray for your church? Should we pray for the sick? Yes. Should we pray for help with circumstances? Yes. But look what Paul prays for first here. 
walking up the mountain a little bit. It is my prayer that your love may abound. He knows what he's just said about them, and he knows that they don't love one another like this. He knows that no church loves perfectly. So what do we need to do as we see how much we haven't been loved and how much we need to love? Pray. I dare you to start praying hard and regularly that God would fill you with his affection for his church. Pray that your love may abound more and more. But not only that, we're going higher up on the mountain. Pray that your love would be filled with knowledge and all discernment. What kind of a love is this? It's full of knowledge and discernment. I heard somebody, someone uh, talking about this, and it resonated with me. Uh, sometimes it seems like there's love people or discernment people. Have you noticed this? Love people or discernment people. And what do the love people do? They just love you, affirming everything. I just love you. I'm here for you. No matter what I do, no matter what you do, I just love you to the point where it's almost like your evil desires are fine. Go ahead. Whatever. I just love you, okay? Then there's discernment people, and their love feels like bear spray. <laughs> and they spell discernment with a C, Critical condemnation, and they're watching to see if you have it right. And they've set this new self righteousness up that somehow they can keep and you can never keep. And they love you with your discernment, and you're ready to run for the hills with friends like this who needs enemies. Keep your love away from me. Discernment people, love people. Paul will have none of it. He will have none of it. What is he both simultaneously? It's the same thing. I yearn for you with all the affection of Christ Jesus. He's incredibly affectionate. And he does it with discernment. He does it with discernment. The discernment of Christ causes affection. If you're not affectionate, you have not discerned Christ, discernment people. And love means You'll want wisdom and knowledge. You want people to love things in the right way for the right reason. Universal, unconditional affirmation isn't love. Paul sees these things married, put together. Wow. So I just want to ask us, as we look at this, where are you giving one but not the other and calling it love? Where are you giving one but not the other and calling it love? Are you ever willing to push people towards Christ, or are you just pure affirmation? That's probably not love like it should be. Are you always so discerning that no one feels your affection? It's probably not discernment like it should be. You know, maybe some of you, your spouse, your Christian spouse is wondering if you're one of the discernment people. You have them discerned. You see it all, you know the truth, but they're not getting any affection. Maybe you're not as discerning as you thought. More love. May your love abound more and more with more discernment, and then look what happens, so that you can approve what is excellent. This is that secret in the letter, isn't it? That you might approve what is excellent. Well, if you could see what God saw and you loved what God loved, what would be easier for you? You'd never have to think about it. If it was excellent, what would your response be? I approve it. 
He always loves what he should. He loves the right thing and the right way. Well, of course he loves what's excellent. What's my problem? Sometimes I'm like, oh, this little trashy thing over here is so awesome. It's excellent. Oh, and this excellent thing over here, and I don't care. Desire problems. And so you pray that as your love abounds more and more, we pray that our church would be a group of people who, what do we love? Well, we should. We love what's excellent. We want what's excellent. Friends, if you want what is excellent and you have Christ and a community of Christ, there will be an overwhelming, never-ending source of joy in your life. Approve what is excellent. And then here's the final picture. Verse 10, And so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Hmm. So last week we saw in Philippians 1 that as Christians who put their faith in Christ, Paul actually said we are in, do you remember? Who are we in? We're in Christ. We're united to him. His life, his death, his resurrection, it's ours. Here Paul talks about the day of Christ. What's that going to be like? You stand before him. He's looking at you, giving an account for your life. But he who began a good work in you, do you remember? Is gonna, what's he going to do? He's going to complete it to the, at the day of Christ. So this process of growing in love and rejoicing in the gospel and loving your church works to where you're going to be pure and blameless for the day of Christ because you're in Christ. And now verse 11, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes, where? Where does it come from? Through Christ. Can't wait till chapter 3 when we talk about what it means to have Christ as our righteousness. For now, he's the resume of your heart. He makes you good enough. He makes you right with God. You are loved. You are enough. You're forgiven. You're adopted in him. He's, he's, he makes you righteous. The fruit of that, the, the result of that, is you'll, you'll love what is beautiful, and you'll want to be pure and blameless like Christ. But, but do you see these, this, these building blocks? By faith, you're in Christ. You're filled with the fruit of righteousness through Christ. And then you're going to stand there at the day of Christ, standing before Christ, in Christ, through Christ, like Christ. What do you see here, church? Who do you see here? Christ. You're going to get Christ. We're going to get Christ. We're going to be like Christ, through Christ, because we're in Christ. When we stand before Christ, Christ, you're going to get him. And if you love him, how does that feel to you? That feels like joy. That feels like joy. To the glory and praise of God. Isn't praise the ultimate expression of joy? What do you do when you see a beautiful sunset? Hey, look, that's beautiful. What do you do when you have the birth of a new child? Oh, hey, look, she's beautiful. What are we doing? We're seeing something beautiful. We're expressing it. And imagine that day when we together who share in God's grace together, who share in the gospel together, when we together stand before Christ, looking like Christ, through Christ, what will we do? We'll praise God for his kindness to us. We'll praise God for putting us in a church 
that we loved so much because of what we shared together. Do you love your church? Yeah. Do you love your church enough? No. Let's grow in our joy in Christ and what he's doing. And then because we share in him, we'll find more joy, more love to God's glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this incredible calling. We're reminded of your affection towards us. In Christ, we're reminded of what you're doing with us in Christ, how you have this great goal for us, and you're going to complete it in Christ. And Lord, you put us in a church together. And we pray that our highest love would be the gospel and that we would enjoy fellowshipping over that gospel, that we would enjoy participating in your grace in that gospel, and we would see the goal of the gospel take place in us, in Christ, like Christ, through Christ, for Christ. That would be our eternal joy. We pray it in the name of Christ. Everybody said, amen. Thank you for listening. And we invite you to visit us Sunday mornings here at Fountain of Life Fellowship. For more information, visit www.folfcrc.com.